Krishna. We're going to do our morning Bhagavatam class. Um, so, welcome everybody. Now we'll begin. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Today uh, we'll begin with the Bhagavatam, first canto, second chapter, text 12. So, here we go. Tachadadhana munayo jnana vairagya yuktaya Pashantyatmani chatmanam bhaktya shukta grahitaya. So, sages, mumaya, who are believing. The word shadatana, I know some people don't like all this grammar, but shadatana literally means those who are putting their trust in something it's it's a it's not simply those who are faithful uh but those who are actively believing who are actively putting their faith putting their trust in something that's the sense of munaya. so sages who are putting their trust who are trusting who are believing in spiritual reality jnana vairagya yuktaya bhaktya shuta grihitaya so i'll put this into understandable english these sages endowed with devotion or with bhakti with bhakti with real devotion which and that devotion is endowed with knowledge and detachment. In other words, devotion, bhakti, is not merely a sentiment. It is, for example, let's say you love somebody and you love that person because you really know that person. Sometimes we claim, well, some unfortunate people, claim they are in love with someone they don't really know. And then, of course, they find out who the person really is, and that's the end of their so-called love. So the question is, was that really love? If you, if, if you believe you love someone that you don't actually know, do you really love that person? No. What we love is we love an idea in our own mind. And that happens a lot. In fact, I think it happens, I don't want to say, well, probably most of the time, because nowadays people, uh, not serious devotees, but uh, people in general go from one relationship to another very quickly. And um, they claim, so the word, they claim they love someone that they don't actually know. So here we're talking about devotion, which is based on real understanding. You love someone because you really know them. And in this case, the person you really know is Krishna. And when you really know somebody 
and you really love that person, you become detached from other things. In other words, someone who truly falls in love, we can be a little romantic here, uh, if someone really falls in love, they lose their interest in other partners or other possible partners. And that's why if someone's in a relationship with another person and uh, someone, let's say you're in a relationship with someone that claims, I love you, but that person seems to also be in a relationship with other people, then you naturally question that's, you know, their so-called love. If you really love me, why wouldn't you be satisfied with that love? So in the case of Krishna consciousness, um, real Krishna consciousness, the more we are attached to Krishna, or just the more we understand Krishna, the more we are detached from other things. Therefore, it's said here that trusting sages, trusting sages, believing sages who uh, their their devotion is based on knowledge and it's based and and because it's real knowledge and real devotion uh, they're also detached from other things and another thing about their devotion is there's three qualifications here for real devotion is that it is based on Shastra in other words, someone's going to say, I love Krishna. And if you ask that person, well, who is Krishna? They give some bizarre explanation. You know, Krishna, is, which that's not really Krishna at all. So here there are three qualifications to have true bhakti, true devotion. Number one, you understand the person you're devoted to. You're devoted to Krishna because you actually know who he is. Number two, uh you have real devotion and that detaches you from other things of course this is gradual it's, it's proportional so you may have some devotion and some detachment and if we get more devotion we get more detachment but still with real bhakti uh the detachment should be in proportion to the devotion so there's knowledge there's detachment and uh, the devotion is based on authorized descriptions of Krishna. Of course, you could say, uh, in some cases, in some ways, this overlaps with the qualification of knowledge, but also uh, this has to do with the way you express or practice your devotion. We have a devotional practice, which is given to us by Shastra, by scripture, by great teachers like Prabhupada who know the scripture. And so your devotion, your devotional life, your devotional service is consistent with, is accepting of, Grihitya, uh, the scripture. So if you have that kind of devotion, then here's what happens. If you have that kind of devotion, then you see, you actually see, literally it says here, uh, the self in the self. You see the self in the self. Prabhupada translates the uh, Atmanichatmanam. Prabhupada 
translates this as um, realizes that absolute truth. So literally the Sanskrit says, uh, it's talking in the plural, the sages, uh, the, the sages who have all these qualifications, trusting, uh, they have devotion, which is endowed with knowledge and detachment uh, and devotion, which is uh, consistent with Shastra. They see Pashanti, they actually see Atmani Jatmanam, they see the self in the self. Of course, the self in the self is Krishna, because it was if, if it was about just seeing yourself, you aren't in yourself, actually. Uh, you are not in yourself, you are yourself. But the person who is within you in your heart, that's actually Krishna. And that becomes clear also uh, from the following verses that we're talking about Krishna. So uh, that's the first verse of today's class, uh, 1 to 12. And then having said that, uh, Sutta says, Atak, therefore. In other words, if you understood the verse we just discussed, you should come to a conclusion about something. And Sutta is himself coming to a conclusion. Therefore, he begins the next verse uh, with the word ataha. So, or therefore, literally from that, he wants to talk about the Varnashram system. And why does he want to talk about this? Well, there's an obvious reason. Because Sutta is living within a civilization in which the Varnashram system is uh, all-pervading. For example, I mean, Varna means your career. Like, what do you do for a living? Your career, your vocation, your profession. And uh, ashram means your, are you married? Are you not married? Are you engaged? Are you divorced? Well, they don't have that in so much in the Vedic culture, but so, but still, you know, Vanaprastha or sannyas, I mean, it is in a sense a divorce, in a sense of divorce meaning separation. So even in today's world, if you meet someone, the typical thing, or if you hear about someone, typical thing to say will be, what does that person do? Or what do you do? Meaning, what's your occupation? Or as you're getting to know someone, naturally, are you with someone? Which is kind of the modern version people used to say are you married but are you with someone are you married do you have kids or someone may say yeah i'm uh yeah, i'm divorced or i'm uh whatever separated so these kinds of questions are universal what do you do in life and what about your personal life are you married or not are you with someone and so in the vedic culture which is very traditional and uh, very strict, you know, of course, strictness comes and goes depending on how a society is degraded or not degraded. But still, uh, in this very conservative, traditional, pre-industrial, ancient Vedic culture that Sutta is living in, uh, people really are socially defined by their varna and ashram. It's like a grid. 
you know, if you want to locate something on a map, you have to know the latitude and longitude or on a grid or on a chart. Like there's a vertical axis and then there's, I don't know if you can see this, but, uh, you know, the vertical axis and the horizontal axis. So when you have two different coordinates, you can locate something. And people were located by Varna and Ashram. And so there's a tendency, as, as you know, if you know anything about um, history, even Indian history, people really identified themselves and other people by their Varna. Like a Brahmin, I'm a Brahmin, or I'm a king, I'm a Kshatriya, or uh, a queen, or, you know, I'm, I'm Vaisha, or I own this land, I'm a farmer, I'm a merchant, or someone was a Sudra. And then are you married? You're not married. Are you brahmachari? So even in ISKCON, I mean, look at how, frankly, obsessed some people are with other people's gender. Like, what's your position? Or uh, there are devotees who, let's say, I, I can be a sannyasi and I can really identify with that so that I really expect everyone to bow down to me and I really get angry if people don't show me certain respect. Uh, so we can, um, even in a, you know, spiritual society or society that's supposed to be spiritual, uh, people can get really immersed in their own and other people's bodily position. Of our, and that's in a society that's supposed to be spiritual. Imagine if you live in a society that's not supposed to be spiritual, it's just supposed to be Vedic, which for most people, as we even learn in the Gita, didn't mean so much spiritual. You look at the Mahabharata. If you read the Mahabharata, the unabridged Mahabharata, not a you know a Krishna Krishnaized version, uh, practically hardly anyone in the Mahabharata wants to go to the spiritual world. Everyone, of course, you know it's a corrupted text, but everyone wants to go to material heaven. Everyone is, and people take very seriously their varna and ashram. So the Bhagavatam is trying to liberate us from the bodily concept of life so that we can realize our souls, so that we can reconnect to Krishna and go back to Godhead. That's what the Bhagavatam is doing. And even in a so-called Vedic society, people get deeply absorbed in the bodily concept of life through Varnashram. Through Varnashram. They get deeply absorbed in the bodily concept of life. And someone may be very strict in Varnashram, but in the bodily concept of life, which means they're not going to be Krishna conscious. Not really. Not really Krishna conscious. So one of the duties, so, so I mean, consider the Bhagavatam, the challenge for the Bhagavatam. It has to teach us Varnashram. We need Varnashram. For example, there's a verse, uh, Varnashrama, atatpumbi dvija shesta, I think this is a Bhagavatam verse also. Atatpumbi dvija shesta, Varnashrama vipagasha, svanustitasya dharmasya samsidhi yarito. No, that's not the verse I was thinking of, sorry, uh, but no refunds. Um, Varnashrama Charavata Purushena Parakpuman Vishnu Raradhyate Panta Nanyata Toshakarana. 
which means, uh, see if I can find it, Varnashama Charavata Purushena. Sometimes you can just find everything. Uh, yes, I did find it actually. This is from the Vishnu Purana 389. Vishnu, so the Vishnu Purana says, Varnashama Charavata uh, Purushena, that only a person who is behaving, literally conducting their life, achara, like acharya, varnashama acharavata, only a person who is conducting their life according to varnashram can worship Vishnu. That is the person who worships Vishnu. Varnashama acharavata purushena parap, the supreme person Vishnu. Nanyatatoshakarana. And there's no other way uh to please the lord if you don't follow varnashram so here you have statements like that even in say the vishnu purana which is supposed to be about krishna consciousness with a name like that vishnu purana and yet i mean krishna says in the gita chatur varnya maya i have created the four varna system so Clearly, without following, for example, let's say men and women associate and they have no sense of chastity, no sense of, well, this man is married to that woman or this person or this boy or girl. They're not married. Or, I mean, if there's no sense of varna and ashram, it's just chaos. There's moral chaos, social chaos, economic chaos. So society really needs varnashram. At the same time, when people, as they often do, I might say usually do, become attached to their bodily position in Varnanasham, the very thing that civilizes them becomes an obstacle to Krishna consciousness. The solution is not to give up Varnanasham and just become a barbarian. That's not the solution. But the solution is not to ultimately identify with it or to use varnashram to engage it but with a higher purpose it's just like that saying uh that someone should eat to live and not live to eat so we can't stop eating but we should eat as Prabhupada used to always say to keep body and soul together so that we can do something really important in life Eating is not an end in itself. It's something that you do so that you can fulfill your higher purpose. So in the same way, we're an ashram, it's like that. So here it is said, uh, therefore, uh, Sutta addresses the sages, Dvija Shesta, best of the twice born. Uh, Varnashrama Vibhagasha, by the divisions, by the divisions of Varna and Ashram, uh, the uh the perfection sun city city means perfection or, or simply success or it can also mean a yoga city but when you say sun cities it means like the full perfection the real perfection the real perfection of dharma this is literally what the verse says the real perfection of dharma which is very nicely executed according to the divisions of Varnandasha. 
So the, the ultimate purpose of Dharma, which is nicely executed according to the division, divisions of Varnan Ashram, that ultimate perfection is Hari Toshanam, pleasing Hari, pleasing the Lord. Meaning that if you don't please, well, we'll find out what happens if you don't please the Lord in the next verse, I believe. And that is holds true for all people, for, for people, for human beings, uh, the ultimate perfection <coughs> of well-executed dharma, according to Varnashram, is satisfying Hari, pleasing Hari. And uh, therefore, and by the way, the next verse is verse 14 of chapter 2 of the first canto. This is the first Bhagavatam verse that I ever memorized. <laughs> I still remember it. That was in 1969. I think in September or uh, September, October of 1969 in the Berkeley Temple, I somehow memorized this first, first Bhagavatam verse. So tasmadi kena manasa bhagavan satvatam pati shotavya kirti tavyas cha jaya pujas cha nityada. So therefore, Sutta is constructing here a logical, you could say, argument or a logical discourse because remember in uh, verse 13, it begins with the word atta, so or thus. And now in 14, again, it begins with the word therefore. So what Sutta is saying is this is a fact, therefore, this follows. And because that is a fact, therefore, Something else is true. So if you just look closely at the Sanskrit here, you see that Sutta is giving a very tight, logical uh, discourse on Krishna consciousness. So because the ultimate purpose is just uh, please Hari, therefore, ekena manasa, with one mind, in other words, complete concentration. Literally with one mind. Ikena manasa. Prabhupada in the verse translates it with one pointed attention. Literally with one mind. Uh, Bhagavan Satvatangpati. The Lord, Bhagavan, who is the master of the devotees. Satvatangpati. Shotavya is to be heard about. Kirtitavyasa. And is to be glorified. Jayak is to be meditated on. Pujascha and is to be honored or worshipped nityada at all times. So whatever we seem to be doing or whatever we are doing, whatever else we're doing, in our heart and in our mind, we should really be hearing about Krishna, uh, glorifying him, meditating upon him, uh, Worshipping him, you could say, well, how can you be hearing about Krishna? Let's say if you're driving your car, uh, you can be remembering. You can be remembering what you heard about Krishna. Or in your heart, you, even in your heart, you could be thinking how wonderful Krishna is. That's glorification internally. Uh, you can be, and naturally, therefore, you're meditating upon him and you're honoring him. So, nityada, uh, constantly. Prabhupada translates it at all times, constantly. One should be doing this. 
And then perhaps we'll read one more verse today. Jad anudhyasina yukta. Yukta. Karma grantini bandhanam. Chindanti kovidas tasya ko nakuryat katarati. So, here's a nice uh, image, metaphor, by the sword of that steady remembrance. Dhyā is uh, dhyāna, meditation. And anu means steadily, like, like consistently, constantly. So by steady meditation or endowed, those who are endowed with, equipped with, the steady meditation on the Lord, Karma grantini bandanam chindanti. They cut the the very knot of karma. So this is a nice image here. Karma, of course, the word is used in different ways here. It's in the sense of karma, you know, like your karma, your uh, um, entanglement in actions and reactions, all the things you've done, all the reactions that are coming to you, and those reactions will sort of lead you, almost force you to do other things in some cases, and that will produce more reactions. So it's a trap. It's called granti. Granti means a knot, and nibandana means like the literally like the tie of the binding of the knot, the binding of this knot of karma. Uh, those who are kovidas, those who are wise, those who are learned, cut the binding of this knot of karma. They cut it because they are endowed with the sword. They cut it with the sword of this constantly thinking of Krishna, remembering Krishna, how wonderful Krishna is. So endowed, endowed with this sword of constant meditation on Krishna, they cut, uh, wise people, smart people, they cut this binding knot of karma. Therefore, tasya ko who, it's a rhetorical question, meaning like, like someone's a fool if they don't do this, who would not cultivate attachment to katha, to these, these narrations about Krishna. So what's really happening here is Sutta is emphasizing how important the Bhagavatam is. And Sutta is, has already begun to narrate the Bhagavatam, the sages Nami Sharanya, and they themselves, in their questions to him, if you go back to the previous chapter, kept emphasizing how important it is to hear about Krishna. And now Sutta is saying that who would not cultivate attachment to this katha, to, to this narration, considering that by it, one cuts off the binding knot of karma, which is the whole problem in our life, uh, endowed with this sword of constant remembrance. Of course, if we are not remembering Krishna, then we don't really have the sword in our hand, and we're not going to, going to completely cut, sever this knot, and therefore we're still going to suffer. So if someone says, you know, I chant Hare Krishna, why am I unhappy, why am I suffering? It's because uh, we are not always thinking of Krishna, and therefore, you know, we have like maybe like a little junior sword, a little sword, but it's not 
hacking through, it's not cutting through completely this knot of karma, and therefore our previous activities are still affecting us. Whereas if we really fix our minds in Krishna, then uh, we actually have the power, the sword of constant remembrance of Krishna to really cut through this binding knot of karma and, uh, and be free and happy and achieve our real life. So, uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, hope you enjoyed the class. And uh, hope to see you next Sunday. Hare Krishna.